Welcome to the Not All Better Show. I'm your host, Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 464. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Inside Science series, our guest, Michael B. Toth, is president of R.B. Toth and Associates, and he's going to be discussing his pioneering work over the past two decades to reveal new historic information. Mike Toth will offer examples of writings and drawings revealed with the latest advanced imaging systems by the international teams of research and researchers that he leads. For centuries, historic information on paper was erased or damaged by fire and flood. Parchment was scrubbed clean and reused, and papyrus torn and repurposed for mummy masks. Artwork was covered by paint and canvas and names scrawled on walls obscured by wallpaper. Now, thanks to Mike Toth and his team and to the modern imaging technology that Mike Toth and his team have developed, historic and religious information that was damaged or removed is visible again. Digital imaging and processing of historic artifacts has taken place around the globe in locations as diverse as Venice, Scandinavia, the Vatican, the Sinai Desert, and America. The technology that Mike Toth will be discussing with us today allows investigators to make significant discoveries from newly visible early drawings found on artwork and information hidden in mummy masks, maps, Bibles, manuscripts, journals, and even old walls, as well as make the findings accessible for online researchers. Mike Toth tells us how he and his team have adapted and adopted these new technologies and developed some of the technologies from their own initial applications in satellites, x-rays, physics, and medicine into imaging tools now used for cultural heritage studies. Mike Toth will also discuss how some projects that made use of these technologies became detective hunts into aspects of lost history. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Michael Toth. Michael Toth, welcome to the program. Hey, it's great to be here, Paul. Good to talk to you, too. We're going to talk tech today, and I know my audience, uh, they, they value the technology, they appreciate it. This is a whole new level, so we're going we're gonna to get into this, Michael Toth. But why don't you start by telling us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation, which will be via Zoom. And uh, Zoom is a, uh, a great medium for engaging the audience. So share with us a little bit about how you plan to do that. Well, you're right, Paul. Uh, we're we're uh, we're getting in some new technologies here uh, for for especially for much of your audience and the subject matter of you know what I'm going to talk about. Uh, going virtual via Zoom offers a great opportunity to share our work, you know, outside the Washington D.C. area. Now, my previous this will be my seventh program, and my previous six programs have been in person in the Ripley Center in downtown Washington D.C. Uh, I'm going to miss meeting the people before the talk and, and being able to be up on the stage in a, a full auditorium offering demos and showing you know, some of the equipment and stuff. But with this, we can, you know, we can reach out and we've got a great Smithsonian associate staff and a technical team. And it's going to be a great opportunity for your audience and associates, you know, across the time zones to participate, which which normally would be just the DC audience. Uh, and since I work in images, having a medium like Zoom 
allows me to to share my screen with lots of images, and I'm not just a. It won't be just a talking head. Uh, I and in fact, I, I have so many. It's you know, how do I chop this down? Uh, now, now of course, there's a disadvantage to Zoom, and I can't tailor my program to the audience's response. You know, I don't get those lolling heads, soft snores and coughs and whatnot. <laughs> so, so what we're trying to do is we've decided to have uh, two question and answer sessions. Usually I, I talk, I may get some interjections there, which are good. And I, I like the feedback and, and that's what I'm going to miss. So we're going to have a Q&A in the middle and one at the end. And with good questions from your audience and from the associates, hopefully I can tailor at least the verbal part of my se- the second half of the program to meet the audience's needs, especially when we're dealing with technology and the audience isn't that technical. So I don't want to go over their heads. I, I will try my best not to go over their heads. And same with now. And, and Paul, please pull me back if I start going into, you know, least squared algorithms or principal components analysis. Uh, but, but, you know, a, a neat thing about Zoom is, and, or, or whatever medium or, or this, you know, the, the audio here, is we're using another tool of the digital era to share our knowledge from centuries ago. And think about what, you know, the ancient scribes or the or Gutenberg and the recent, more recent printers and writers would think of how we are now sharing their work. They took from papyrus, from eras BC, and transcribed that onto parchment, and printers printed that on paper, and we have imaged it, and we are trying to make it as accessible, as freely accessible as possible to the world. And now we're sharing it in an interactive, electronic manner. What would they think? So, uh, you know, I, I got to believe they would think that this is pretty cool too. I th- I got to believe that they would love the just the idea that all of a sudden. There's just this vast new, you know, we we use the term viral today. We use the, you know, kind of exponential kind of outreach. I got to believe that they would be pleased. You've you've used the term images, imaging a couple times today. And so I want to I want to just ask this question again, you know, from a very lay, you know, kind of perspective. Just give us a sense as to what you're really referring to with regard to imaging technology, because some might even think medical imaging. They might think magnetic resonance imaging. They might think about CT scans. Is there, are there similarities? And maybe give us an explanation of, of the technology that, that you've developed in your work. Uh, yes, on. Paul. Those are, those are great examples because they wouldn't be, your audience wouldn't be wrong in thinking about medical technology they have encountered. Since we borrow from technology developed for medical imaging, as well as national security, astronomy, physics, And we are using the electromagnetic spectrum, just like the MRI, magnetic resonance imaging, uses radio waves, uh, computer tomography, CT uses X-rays. These are parts of a broad electromagnetic spectrum, energy passing through the ether, whether it's a vacuum or, or atmosphere or whatever. And that's just like the light we see reflected into our eyes. So what we do is 
we use, well, there, there's two parts of our, our imaging. One is we use the light we see, and we also use the light we don't see. We see from violet through the colors of the rainbow up to red. Now, there's ultra, also ultraviolet. That's a, what we call a shorter wavelength. And there's longer wavelengths, infrared. And in fact, a hummingbird just flew to a feeder outside my window here. Now, that hummingbird sees that feeder in a combination of ultraviolet, which we don't see, as well as the visible. In fact, I really ought to image that hummingbird feeder. But anyway, I digress. So, so, so what we're trying to do is to reveal features in artifacts that we would not see with our eye, and we use wavelengths of light or energy levels that we can't see. So we use, we use a very powerful camera. It's a 100 megapixel phase one camera that is about 10 times, gives images about 10 times as detailed as a mobile phone camera. And we use very narrow bands of light. We have LEDs in panels, and these LEDs, we have about 15 of them, and we'll, do, we'll capture what we call a stack of images. The ultraviolet LED goes on, the camera shutter opens, we capture a picture in ultraviolet, another UV, another, uh, another uh, exposure. Same, then we go to the violet, the blue, the green, the, the amber, the, the red, and then into the infrared, where we get up to, so for those more technically inclined, from 365 to 940 nanometers. For those who aren't, we're going just barely into the UV and up into the infrared. So we get this stack of images. We have 15 pictures, just like you took 15 pictures in your cell phone camera, but they're all identical. So with that, we can combine those using various statistical computer tools, and we can create false color images that brings out that UV or the IR, or for the color impaired, mainly men, we do grayscale images. So that light gives us more information by using light we don't see. Now, we also use other energy levels, such as X-rays, and we also use these, both the X-rays and the light, especially the UV and the blues. Um, if you remember, and many of your audience may remember, the psychedelic black light posters we had. You had in China a UV light on a, you know, an iron butterfly or deep purple poster. And, and <laughs> yes, well. and, and they fluoresce. You put the energy on it that, that was this, this bluish, Lord knows what it was doing to our retinas, and it would come back in these bright oranges and yellows. Well, parchment does the same thing and elements do the same thing. So we'll irradiate. And by irradiate, I mean, just put light on an object, whether it's x-ray light or it's ultraviolet or blue light. And what comes back from the object is a pink light from the object. The object is illuminating itself or with the x-ray the elements will give off a very faint x-ray signal. These are really, really faint signals. So we've got to work with the best and most sensitive equipment to capture these images. As I say, this is just fascinating stuff, uh, Michael. I really appreciate that level of um, 
just precision in, in understanding some of this. And so you're known as this international leader uh, for, for using these technologies for cultural heritage work. And uh, you've done studies around the globe. Maybe give us an, a, a couple of examples briefly of what you've done, of, of some of the reveals that have occurred with, with using this light. And, um, and maybe, maybe tell us a little bit about uh, a local project that you were involved with in, in Fairfax County, the Blenheim House, and uh, what uniquely w- was revealed there. Well, you, you cite me as, as a leader, and as a leader, I lead teams. And this really is an interdis- all of our projects, our interdisciplinary team efforts includes technical people, data managers, scientists, engineers, and then the non-technical who are becoming much more technical, conservators, scholars, you know, a range of people. But over the 20 years, we've had a broad range of projects. It's been Egyptian mummy masks to astronauts' moon helmets, Archimedes to Newton, old maps and early globes to David Livingston's diaries from Africa. Uh, and our work, we, we travel all over the globe. And we span not only the globe, but we're really spanning the history of mankind sharing information. We've revealed ancient texts that were scrubbed off manuscripts from uh, that are in the in the oldest one of the oldest libraries in the world, an Orthodox monastery in the Sinai Desert, Saint Catherine's Monastery, uh, and we've worked on much more recent uh, 20th century paper sacramental journals in the oldest Orthodox church in North America, and they were damaged by Hurricane Katrina's flooding of New Orleans. Uh, We've chased down uh, parchment folios from an ancient Syriac medical text by by a a philosopher named Galen, Uh, and they were scattered all over the world. And with the support of a brilliant scholar uh, who found these, uh, we then went to uh, first to Houghton's, uh, I'm sorry, Harvard's Houghton Library, to the Vatican Library, the Bibliothèque Apostolica Vaticana, the National Library of France, the Bibliothèque Nationale de France, um, and in the Sinai, there was one at St. Catherine's, in a private library. Uh, and then we've worked with uh, Penn Libraries, with the Schoenberg Institute for Manuscript Studies, to reunite all these digitally. So with our imaging, to be able to see this scrubbed off text that could not be seen with the naked eye or, or very faintly seen in some cases, uh, we, with that and with the, the digital management and access of Penn libraries, they're now available online, digitalgalen.net, and you can read all these texts if you can read ancient Syria. Uh, but uh, as you note, you know, uh, Closer to home, not in the Sinai. And I have to say, closer to home means we have the support. You can run up to your local tech store and get a a part or a cable or something, which in the middle of the Sinai Desert was far, far away. Um, But we have also worked uh, here in Fairfax County, Virginia, and uh, as well as uh, in the Jefferson County Museum in West Virginia. So especially important, and we've been, been trying to do more work while we're kind of dead in the water in terms of travel, you can always get in the car. So we've worked with Historic Blenheim, which is a brick farmhouse in what is now Fairfax City. 
and it was built just prior to the Civil War. And during the Civil War, uh, in when Union soldiers occupied the Fairfax Courthouse area uh, from about 1862 to 63, the walls were bare plaster. It had just been built. So they would use those walls as a giant whiteboard. And there's more than 120 signatures, pictographs, games, all sorts of thoughts on these walls, written on these walls in uh, charcoal, a lot of it's charcoal, graphite, some wax crayon, and they're very hard to read. So um, since it turns out it's right around the corner from me, a good friend of mine said, hey, you know, there's this place right here. I said, oh, really? <laughs> and, uh, and we got together and we were, so we set up just as a test, we set up our, our system there, our multispectral imaging system, which takes about, uh, it, it comes in basically two bags, so I can carry it on an airplane or throw it in the trunk of a car or carry it on a train, whatever. And so we set it up, and we got some initial images there, and we're hoping we there's opportunity for grants to really thoroughly catalog what's truly a hidden collection there with insights into a typical soldier's life and the effect of this war on the local residents, free and enslaved. Uh, so what we found, though, in just this one test section was with interdisciplinary scholarship, collaboration with the technology, we found a new, we were able to identify a new signature. Uh, of the, I think it's like the 123rd soldier now, uh, on the walls there. So with this technology, with a high res combination of high resolution, the multispectral, we were able to gain more information from those walls. And same uh, in Jefferson County Museum, they had faded photographs, and we were able to bring out more features uh, some of the text on signs and and to see people's faces. I, this is just so interesting, uh, Michael Toth. So t maybe t talk a little bit about I, – I love your reference to uh, the blacklight images of um, the Iron Butterfly poster, for example. <laughs> I love that because with the naked eye, I really – I can't detect – some of the fluorescence that the black light will bring out. And so I'm assuming that that's the case with the residues, the texts that are left over on the walls of the Blenheim House and, and other locations. So how do you even begin to look for these images? What what are some of the clues that something even exists there? Do you do you because you're really this uh, I've heard you refer to this as is this present day Indiana Jones. You you really are quite a sleuth. And but how do you even start this process and know something might be where you think it or hope it to well, be? Well, there that, that's, that's a good question. How do you know the unknown? Uh, and I'm I'm not as good a sleuth as the scholars and the conservators who, as I said, it's a team effort. And it's usually a scholar or a conservator who have not only very keen eyes, but also tremendous knowledge about the objects they're studying. And so from their knowledge, they're, they're intimately familiar with a manuscript or the writers or the scribes and their methodologies. So they'll see these really faint clues. 
It may be just faint impressions on parchment or on paper left by the just an inscribed line. You can't see the text, but the, the scribe has first inscribed a straight line. Maybe not scribe, maybe a scribe's insist, uh, assistant has put down a straight line for the scribe to follow. So they may see or the pricking marks at the ends of those lines or a smudge in a line of text or in a margin. Or, or just a word that doesn't seem right. And with that, they may say, hey, you know, what's there? And usually we try to then do test imaging to see if indeed there's something there. Now, the historic record also offers some insights. We, we went to the Vatican and we were, were working there uh, in support of you know, just whatever they needed support with because they had provided support and they had provided free access to data about this uh, uh, Galen text that I mentioned earlier. And so they brought out this black piece of parchment. I mean black. And they knew there was something there because the historic record from Cardinal Librarian Angela May in the 19th century said there were 23 lines illegible. Now, what Cardinal May had done was to read this text. He had used a reagent, a chemical reagent, which was common in the Victorian times, unfortunately. And for a while, you could it would bring out the text, and then it would turn black. And that's what had happened. So we have this black text. And to make a long story short, we were able to recover this early commentary on the on the Lemayan Wars, a, a rare commentary on post-Alexander uh, reefs. Uh, and this was because of the historic record. They knew there was something there. So it's the keen eyes of scholars and conservators, the historic record. But even so, there are frequently times where we will image something and we there's the, the unexpected that pops out there either in the imaging or in the processing, the post-processing afterward where we use our, our digital tools and go, oh, wow, I didn't expect that. <laughs> As I say, this, this, uh, these stories are, are, are excellent, uh, Michael Tuth. And so uh, the presentation is going gonna, is gonna to be a great one. I'm really going to encourage our audience to, to attend and to join you there. I know you're very busy and the work of your team and you is, is ongoing and, and so important. I just have one final question for you. Maybe just tell us briefly, what's, what's been your most surprising discovery in all of this? Well, really, our work has been, been bookended thus far with surprising discoveries. One, when we were first starting out with this technology and one just this year and early on, Early in this uh, technology adventure, we were working with the Library of Congress on the Nikolai draft of the Gettysburg Address. Uh, and this was, you know, this was written by Abraham Lincoln uh, in uh, 1863, in that November day of 1863. And it's written on White House, or uh, Executive Mansion Stationery is the first page. And the second page is just a torn piece of foolscap paper. And, uh, of course, it, and the second page is, is very short. 
uh, and it's that the government of the people, by the people, for the people shall not perish from the earth. And then it's blank below that. And we're imaging this. And, you know, this is a seminal document. I'm standing there looking at this because you know, it's a Gettysburg Address. And, you know, and, and it's in Lincoln's hand. It's one of only four copies in Lincoln's hand. And so I'm looking at it and the UV lights come on. And I see this glow, and down in this blank part there, I say, "You guys, it's it's like a like a like a, a diamond glowing there." And I said, "Guys, we got to look at this." And we looked at it on the screen, and we saw a thumbprint there. I said, "Well, got to do the back." We did the back, and there's three fingerprints there. And so, it's it's as if someone was holding a sheet of paper there perhaps Abraham Lincoln, on a cold day in Gettysburg. So they, the Library of Congress, are, are analyzing this to see if, we can, you know, if they can recover the fingerprints and identify it. And more recently, uh, and just this year, we were working with the Hill Museum and Manuscript Library uh, in Minnesota. Uh, they're better known for their, their tremendous collaboration with communities around the globe, they're trying to digitize their endangered cultural heritage that's at threat from conflict. And I'm talking Timbuktu, Iraq, Syria, doing great work there. So we were working with them to read the scrubbed authors. It's a 10th century ancient Georgian text on a parchment manuscript. Uh, and underneath it is scrubbed off 8th century Syriac, ancient Syriac undertext. And this was really hard. We did the multispectral. We got what we could. And then we said, well, we got to go to that next energy level. And we always work up. We do high-level digitization and multispectral. And then we worked up. Said, whoop, got to bring out the gate. Big guns. So we worked with Stanford University with the the Stanford Synchrotron Light, uh, Stanford Synchrotron Radiation Light Source, the SSRL, uh, which is uh, an X-ray synchrotron great team out there, and, and I'll be discussing this in my talk on the 15th. Uh, and after our, our overnight run, and it, it's the equivalent of taking a human hair and going back and forth with an x-ray beam across this manuscript, it takes about 10 to 12 hours. So after an overnight run, the, the Himmel of the Hill Museum Manuscript Library, Syriac scholar, comes in and I'm showing him what we've done. And I'm bringing up one color there, and all of a sudden he says, dude, that's it, it's coming out. And for the first time since, what, the eighth century, we're seeing a sixth century Syriac text in what might be a different ink that no one ever thought was there. So we always knew there was this eighth century text, but we didn't know there was this sixth century text. Really great stuff and uh, significant discoveries, too, that are going to be shared by uh, Michael Toth, How Advanced Technology Reveals Hidden Histories. Michael Toth has been our guest today. Michael Toth, thank, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. We're looking forward to uh, hearing more from you. Wow, this was so much fun, Paul. My thanks to Mike Toth for joining us today to talk all about his discoveries using imaging technology. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. And my thanks always to you, my wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. Remember, stay safe, everyone. Practice smart social distancing and talk about better the Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>